University's talk show, Taking Old School Viral. I'm your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring my mind back to myself? Hello, neighbor, and welcome to Folk U Radio, where we ask our neighbors, what do you know? Folk University is an experiment in neighborliness, in slow learning, in using our interests, our skills, and our beliefs as a way of connecting and bringing each other closer in community. Today, we are talking about youth and the powerful force for creative and positive change that they represent in the world. We are joined today by author, Power of Hope, and Pi Global founder, Peggy Taylor. Where are you listening from today, neighbor? Who are the people that have walked and cared for the land, the water, and the air where you live, work, and play? Cortez Community Radio sits on the ancestral and territorial lands of the Klohus, Klaaman, and Hamako peoples. I'd like to thank this land, the people who've walked this land through time, and all those that continue to love and work to honor this place we call home. Welcome to the studio, Peggy. Thank you. Thanks so much, Amanda. I'm thrilled to be here. It is such a pleasure. I've had uh, just the joy of getting to uh, work and scheme with you a little bit recently. So, of course, I felt like I couldn't hog all the glory that is you to myself. And so it means a lot that you're willing to come out on this beautiful uh, afternoon to share a little bit more about you and, and the powerful legacy that you have helped create for youth. Thank you. So I'm hoping we can start a little bit with you. Who are you? Um, where did you come from and why? Why did you um, decide that you were going to spend so much of your energy and your light on empowering youth? Okay, well, it was a circuitous path for sure. Um, I had uh, a very transformative experience as a young person going to a camp. Um, my parents had no idea what they were sending me to. And I think if they knew, they wouldn't have, because they were quite conservative. And um, the camp was called Bromledge Camp, and the byline was the different camp for different girls. And this was in the uh, 1960s, and it was um, based on the Summerhill principles of democratic education. And I'd been, you know, I... I, I could get by in school fine. I never studied, but I was never engaged, and I thought I, I lacked willpower, and there was something wrong with me. And when I got to this camp, um, 
you were just free to learn anything you wanted. And all the, all the counselors were resource people, and they had great trust in us as, as young teens. And I couldn't learn enough. So I was like, okay, I thought there was something wrong with me. Actually, I think there's something wrong with my school system. So that was, that was a very powerful three-year, three-summer experience, which shifted my view of myself and education. Um, fast forward, I got involved in my 20s starting a magazine called New Age Journal in Boston. I'm from the States, uh, New York State, and then from Boston. And um, for many years, I was covering all the things back then, the, the health food movement, all the spirituality movement, the ecological movement, civil rights, all the movements, women's issues, all the, all the things that weren't being covered by the mainstream press. And um, I was in running this magazine for about seven years, it almost killed me, uh, ended up meeting Rex Weiler. Rex Weiler came out to help me salvage this magazine because small magazines do not uh, make money. They're, they can't make money. So you're always on the edge of complete apocalypse of your business. So he came out, uh, he'd, run, he'd been running something called the Greenpeace Chronicles, and I met him at uh, the Rocky Mountain Healing Arts Festival. And we, we really hit it off because we were both trying to hold these magazines together. And when he got back to Vancouver, uh, Greenpeace decided not to, to publish the Greenpeace Chronicles anymore, so he called me up and asked me if, if I wanted him to come out and help. So he did. And we had a blast. Um, there's nothing like having a good friend and comrade when you're just trying to keep something afloat. Well, he started talking about this place called Cortez Island and uh, the Cold Mountain Institute and his dream, along with Siobhan and uh, Lee Robinson, to start to buy the place. And so um, we decided to put our entire life savings of $5,000 into Hollyhock, into buying Hollyhock, and banded up with a whole bunch of other 35-year-olds, 30 to 35-year-olds, and, and off we came to, uh, to start Hollyhock. We stayed in Boston, but we started coming to Cortez every summer for ever since, and that's been 40 years now. Uh, we ended up buying a place, a little cabin in Manson's Bay in, uh, night, in 2003, and so we've been spending all of our summers here since then. But, so fast forward, I, uh, I burned out on the magazine, and I decided to go to graduate school and get a degree in something called, um, it was a degree in Master's of Education in Creative Arts and Learning. And it's the, how to use the arts to build community, to make uh, community programs better, to bring people together across lines of difference. And I just became on fire about the role the arts and creative expression can play in building strong communities. So my husband and I and, and son moved out to Seattle and all I wanted to do was do something to do with 
creative arts and community. And uh, I met a guy named Charlie Murphy, who some people who are listening may have met Charlie in previous years. Just so dynamic, loving man and musician. Um, And he had the idea to start up this camp called Power of Hope. And, uh, And I was like, I'm in. So the two of us ran our first Power of Hope camp uh, which we could call it an arts empowerment camp. It's not an arts. It's not an art camp where where youth come to learn art. It's a it's an arts rich environment. A camp with an arts rich environment, um, which we believe is the way society should be. That society should be arts rich, and people of all ages would benefit from expressing themselves through various art forms without having to be good. Um, And so we started the camp, and by the end of the first camp, it was such a powerful experience. We looked at each other, and we just said, we're in for life. And sadly, my my friend um, Charlie died four years ago from ALS, so he was in it for life. And, um, And I'm still in it, and I just... I just love this work. Interestingly, he also had a transformative experience going to camp as a as a child. He went to a an Episcopal camp that was based on the principles of the human potential movement of the time. And so that had a very powerful effect on him. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit more about the power of hope, both that first camp, but also the model aspect, um, because I know you're going to get more into in the future of this talk, some of the ways that this kind of power of hope, let's call it model has spread. So what is that? I mean, is it just young people coming together or is there more? Yeah, there's definitely more. Um, One of the things that uh, we were interested in, in doing was helping to bridge the gap between youth and adults. So we set the camp up so we'd have maybe 40 youth, age 14 to 18, and then 20 to 25 adults, mostly volunteers. We would have two lead facilitators who would kind of lead the whole camp, and then we would have um, teaching artists, usually uh, somebody who did drumming and percussion, somebody who did theater improv, somebody who would do um, visual arts and crafts, uh, dance, a dance person. Uh, And then we'd usually have uh, a person who would do inner work, teaching young people self-development skills like centering, um, ways to calm their nervous system, ways to um, manage life in this modern world. Um, And then everybody else would be volunteers. And um, the... (laughs) And... So we would train the volunteers ahead of time, and uh, and then the kids would come. the The adults would get there uh, a day earlier, and you know, there's adults need to have some training to know how to really be effective with young people. For one thing, they have to know what's okay from their own personal life to share, and what. You know what kind of boundaries they have to keep to keep young people safe. They have to learn all the risk management practices, which for anybody who hasn't worked with young people, that's news to them. You know, you can't just go up and and hug kids. You can't. You know, you have to you have to be very 
mindful of the kind of boundaries that are required to create a safe atmosphere. And, um, and also, uh, we would help them get in touch with their own creativity and gain confidence in their own creativity through a lot of activities that we would then do with the young people that really bring out that expressiveness. Yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about the, the goals um, of the Power of Hope experience um, and, and have those changed over the years? Right. You know, I met with, sadly, uh, the second Power of Hope camp at Linnea Farm this summer was canceled because of COVID. So I had the privilege of being with eight young people today for an hour and a half who all had come to the island to go to camp, couldn't go to camp. So the parents got together a little program for them. And I haven't been to a camp in quite a long time. Most of my focus has been on training adults to lead uh, more more impactful classrooms, to lead more impactful youth programs, um, to be better social service workers who work with young people. Um, but this was my first time for a while with kids. And I'm like, yes, they're they're different. They're in a much, much more social media world, but they're still just the same as the kids were 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And they're still up against the big issues in the world. They're just accelerated. The, 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 the kids 20, 25 years ago, when we started the camp, were facing these huge global issues. And now it's they're the same issues. They're just, we're just moving down the road. Um, so the goals have, have remained the same. And uh, the first goal of the camp is to increase your confidence and your creativity. And what do we mean by creativity? Our definition is not being a great artist or a great inventor. Our creativity is our human capacity to think things up in our imagination and make them happen in the world. Everything we think up in its own sense is fresh and new. Even if something identical is being done, it's still being done by us. And so as you gain confidence in your creativity, in that capacity to think things up and make them happen in the world, you basically um, gain confidence in your ability to influence your your world, to influence your family, to influence your community. Um, and so that's our first goal, is to increase our, our confidence in our ability to think things up and make them happen. And then the second one, and this was a big reason we started Power of Hope back 25 years ago, um, the second one is to learn how to learn from people different than, than yourselves. And even as I sat with this beautiful circle of eight young people today, they were from so many different cultures and places and life situations. Um, We were told back then that the high schools in the U.S. were very segregated, very clique-oriented, that people didn't cross lines of difference, 
And we wanted to have a program where they would be, where kids would be put together in a loving environment, in a creative environment, with young people that even if they were in the same school with them, they probably wouldn't connect with them, right? And we could see, I mean, it's only, again, it's only gotten worse, uh, but the divides based on religion, based on uh, race, based on socioeconomic uh, divides, these divides have only gotten larger and larger, and so our thought was, if young people could learn to cross those lines of difference, they would become peacemakers in this world. And that learning to cross lines of difference is one of the most important social skills um, and civic skills needed in the world today. So that's our second goal, to um, learn how to learn from people different than yourself. Third one actually was only added in the the third year, and that was because the the young people asked for it. The third goal is to explore your inner life, and you know we we didn't want to be we wanted to be as mainstream a program as we could, and we although we uh, so we 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 really focused on an arts-rich environment, um, and we stayed away from inner work. We didn't teach them meditation or any of those things. They were hungry for it, and this was kids from across across cultures and across socio- socioeconomic um, divides. They were hungry to learn how to manage themselves inwardly. And I'll, I'll never forget, after the second, we had, a, we had a reunion in the middle of the year after the second year of camp. And we asked them, what, uh, what more do you want uh, at camp next year? And they're all like, meditation. We're like, really? You have to be kidding me. The hunger was huge. So we added that. We finally said, okay, um, we'll risk having people look at our program and call it flaky or new agey or whatever because this is what the kids want. This is what they're asking for. So that's our third goal, to explore your inner life. Um, And the fourth is to fall in love with nature. And... um, for a lot of the youth who come to Power of Hope Camp, being immersed in a beautiful place like Linnea Farm or the Whidbey Institute on Whidbey Island in, in the U.S. or other sites in the U.S., it's their first time in a tent. It's their first time out with the bugs and the, and the critters. And uh, the way we talk about it with them is the importance of nature and that that uh, this is something all human beings share. We share this ecosystem. And so when we fall in love with it, we can then care for it. So that's our fourth goal, is to fall in love with nature. And our fifth goal is to learn ways to use your creativity to make change in the world. So um, we don't, we're not a social activist camp, per se. We're not a political camp. But we're a camp that says, uh, 
as human beings, we have a responsibility to positively influence our world in whatever, in whatever way is right for us. And it might be politics. It might be social activism. It might be tutoring. It might be, you know, whatever. So we make that connection. And we talk about that the happiest people we know are the people who are, care for something larger than themselves. And, uh, you know, young people are right there for that. They really do care. So those are our goals. The final goal is to have fun, and, and there's a lot of fun at these camps. So talk to me a little bit about this model and those goals and how they led to Pi Global, which um, my understanding is sort of taken that idea and said, okay, what if we blow it up and apply it to anything and everything all around the world that um, might support youth? Um, But that's, you know, (laughs) I'd love to hear how you would refer to it. (laughs) Well, we... We did the work for many years, and then we decided to write a book. And we wrote a book, Charlie and I, called Catch the Fire. And we were, were like, okay, if we write a book, we have to have a model. So we came up with a model. We, we looked at what we were doing and created a model called the Creative Empowerment Model. And that's basically using experiential learning the best of facilitation techniques and creative expression activities that are that are drawn from various art forms um, there's a lot of programs that are experiential learning programs most um, outdoors programs are experiential learning any experiential learning is a program where you learn through experience and then you reflect on your learning there's some programs, not enough programs for youth that have people trained in good facilitation techniques. Um, but it's very, very rare where you then add in. I think our special ad is adding in the using practices from various art forms. And that's... So So our our model... In, in terms of using the arts, is this notion that uh, we build creative confidence by taking increasing levels of creative risk. So um, we build our program so that when people first come in, they're invited to take a very tiny creative risk. It might be make a colorful name tag. Just write your name on a name on a name tag but do it with color and maybe add a little bit something to it or we invite people to join us in building a rhythm together um very 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 low bar creative risks um and we also using facilitation techniques set up a community where um there's no put downs of self or other and that it's a safe place Nobody's expected to do well at anything. It's not about mastery. It's about just participating. So we start to uh, layer on increasing levels of creative risk. What happens is if you start with a very low level of creative risk so that people can try something and 
feel like they've succeeded, it gives them the confidence to then step up to the next creative risk, which gives them the confidence to step up to the next creative risk. What happens is you really see it with shy, with young people who are shy. By about day two or three, their shyness just goes away. And what really surprised me is they come to camp the next year and they're still not shy. And they say, my shyness left. And and so, you know, for us, when we think about civic engagement or the importance of both young people and all people exercising their voice in the public forum, I can think of a more important social skill to develop in young people than... than, um, having them feel comfortable speaking their truth in public. So you managed to create, make the book, um, Mm -hmm. which by the way, I'm just going to say it again. It's called catch the fire. And I've been uh, pouring over it for the development of my own program that I've been working on. Um, And it's super brilliant. And I've already found, uh, activities not just that could be used with youth but that I've been trying to like use with boards and other things so um, I'm really loving it and clearly other people resonated with it too and started seeing like oh yes this is not just about running camps this is about so so much more yeah so can you tell us about some of those so much mores? <laughs> yeah, well, early on, we decided that we really needed to train adults because our belief was that young people thrive with adults who are what we call alive to their creativity. People who have creative confidence, people who are... Because as you take creative risks, it also, um, in, an, in a non-judgmental setting, it generates an incredible amount of joy. Right. Rollo May, who was a psychologist well known for his creativity studies in California in the in the 80s and 90s, said that uh, creative expression is most often accompanied by a feeling of shimmering joy. And so, um, yeah, so so these adults were like, okay, we've got it. We have to train adults. What we discovered when we started training adults was that the methods, in training them in the methods, it worked on them, and they would have the same benefits that the young people would have at camp. They'd be more confident, they'd be more flexible, they would be more open, they would uh, be more committed to living a good life. All of these good great outcomes that were happening for the kids were happening for the adults. And so we began to, uh, at a certain point, we thought, okay, a friend of ours uh, named Torkin Wakefield, who also has a a summer place here on the island, she had started a program called Bead for Life in Kampala, Uganda. And she invited me to come down there and do some work with the HIV teen club HIV AIDS Teen Club, at which was at a, at the local hospital where Charles, her husband, was working. Charles was an AIDS doctor. Um, so we went to Uganda, and I was terrified. I'm like, this is a completely different culture. What am I going to do? What am I doing here? And I, we got there one night. The next morning, she said, okay, you're with the teen club, these 
40 kids and all day tomorrow. So after a sleepless night, we got to the teen club, and it was astonishing. It was like the young people responded there in the same way that the young people were responding here. And, uh, and then I got to, to do a session with nurses who were working in the clinic, and they just lit up by learning these practices. Uh, and then I had uh, worked with 35 people for a, a half a day at something called Straight Talk, which is a, a sex, a, um, a newspaper that addresses sex education in Uganda. And these were all professionals, and they were all dressed to the hilt and all came in, took their high heels off, and by the end of the by the end of the morning, everybody was just in an altered state. And um, so I thought, wow, two things: this can really work in another culture, and it also can work for people who are working in for for like teams of people, like at Straight Talk. So um, we started international work. I went back and told Charlie about my experience in Uganda, and uh, Torkin invited us to come back and lead a camp the next summer. So Charlie and his new husband, Eric, headed off to Uganda. Uh, and I think also the, uh, Soasis Sukuwe, who used to live here on Cortez, she went too. She was a, a Power Pope facilitator. And uh, the three of them went off, and they did camps in Uganda, and they were wildly successful. So then we thought, well, let's do more international work. And so we, with the help of, we met up with um, a man named Ian Watson, and many people on the island uh, likely know Ian and Victoria Watson. Their daughter came to Power of Hope, and then they chose to, to buy a place here. And uh, Ian ha- was an international businessman, and he, he knew a lot about working internationally. And the three of us kind of looked at each other and said, let's start an international organization. So we started PI, Partners for Youth Empowerment. And through that, um, uh, that triad of Ian, and Ian was the president of our board, and Charlie and I were running the organization, and we took this model to South Africa, further in Uganda, India, um, Greece, Spain, England. Yes, Charlie helped get an organization called Lifebeat started in England that is still doing camps and working in schools in England. Um, And so we just, we took it around the world. And the thing that was amazing, Amanda, is when I'd go to these other countries, it was like the people we were training, the youth workers, the artists, the social service people, they all had the same spark as the people who would come to our programs here. It was like this. there was this tribe of people around the world who care about youth, who love youth, and uh, who are creative. And, and so it was... It's just been an an amazing journey. And you have a couple 
um, really exciting projects uh, underway in the near future um, or already underway, also uh, along this international line. Can you tell us a little bit about some of what that is? Or, 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 we, will, or, will, or will, we won't reveal yet. <laughs> right. To reveal. No, um, one, one project I'm very excited about is in the U.S., and it's called the Baker Butler Project where we're taking, um, choosing teams from schools. Our, our pilot project is in California. Uh, teams, of, teams of students and either teachers or mentors from maybe five schools coming together for a week-long training, and then they're going back to become equity trainers in their schools. To not so much be equity trainers, but to really spearhead uh, a more equitable culture in their schools. And uh, we really love this idea because we found it very difficult to get into the school systems in the U.S. Things are really tied up tight, and I don't know how it is in Canada. I know you've got a very exciting program going on here. Um, I have those kind of things aren't really happening in the U.S. So we finally decided the best way to interface with schools is through something like the Baker Butler Project, where we create teams of of youth who gain new skills and can then spread that through their school. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also I love it because it's got that empowering youth and kind of spreading the seeds of lots of little uh, Mm -hmm. ambassadors. Um, And we talked a little bit and I'm not going to go too much into it, but we're really excited because Peggy and Pi Global are helping us create the Cortez Island Academy using the power of hope model as well. So the same idea of using creativity um, to elevate and empower youth uh, and their voices, um, but spread out through an entire academic semester. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about what it means to um to one, kind of have all the facilitators who are doing the teaching trained in some of the basics of empowering and improving their own facilitation skills. But then what does it mean when you're working with a group of students for an entire semester, not just a week at camp? Um, So I'm really excited and I'm hoping that that model will spread. Um, uh, Right now I'm still dealing with a lot of the like the bureaucratic aspects, but it's good to remember the sort of more aspirational ones, which is I think what happens whenever I'm with you, (laughs) which is why I like to be with you. Okay, so one of the things that I always like sort of immediately when I get to into a room with you, as you've known, I start to ask you, well, what would you do if? What if? And you talk a lot in the book about the importance of good beginnings and how you're going to pay for it sooner or later if you don't take the time mm-hmm. to create a good beginning. Um, and I love that about the book. Really appreciate that idea. And it's helped me rethink a lot of the things that I'm doing. So can you tell us, you know, if you have a group and they're about to spend a couple of days together, or maybe they're about to spend way more than that together, what are some of the things that you look for in a good beginning? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I'll talk about a bad be- beginning because most programs have a bad beginning, right? We're so focused on getting the work done, right? So, um, or getting the learning done that uh, anything that's sort of creative or artsy is seen as peripheral, 
are seen as, oh, we would do that if we have time. Um, actually, so so think about for yourself times when you've gone to a some kind of program and you sit down and the leaders just start talking and they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk and just think about what that does for your level of participation. I mean, programs die on the vine in the first half hour because people think, oh, no, we've just got to get right into the important stuff. Um, So a friend of mine calls this setting the table. You need to set the table for learning. And what that means is setting the conditions for learning, setting the conditions uh, for participation, um, doing things that make people want to participate. And what this is where we find the, the creative practices are extremely useful. So um, creative practices is one thing, and giving people a way to have their voice heard very early on in the program. I've heard it said that if, if everybody gets to express their voice within the first 10 minutes of a program, you are sure to be successful. And there's ways to do this. If you have a 1,000 people, there's still ways to have everybody express their voice in the first 10 minutes. It doesn't mean you have to do a big circle where you go around and every, every person in that 1,000 introduces themselves. It can be as simple as turning to your neighbor and, and talking with them about something that the facilitators ask them to talk about. But uh, one of the things that we... We usually start with a rhythm that we love, uh, where everybody builds a rhythm together by by following the leader, and it's um, it's a rhythm that looks harder than it is. So when they first see it, it's like, oh, that's hard. But um, as they do it step by step, pretty much everybody gets it, and the whole group goes into rhythm together, and. Uh, everybody's kind of synced in to each other. And so within the first 30 seconds of your time together as a group, they've been given a creative challenge and they have succeeded. So already what you're doing is you're starting to build this at the esteem of the group. Like the group looks at each other like, wow, we can do stuff, right? Um, From there, we always include... We always talk about the goals of why we're there. Um, And also, we build community agreements of how can we be together in a way that will optimize us achieving these goals. But when we talk about goals, uh, we don't just say, okay, our first goal is to increase our Confidence on our creativity. Our second goal is to learn how to learn from people different than ourselves. Our third is to, you know, just a list. That doesn't do anything. And as a facilitator, and this would be true if you're leading a board meeting or if you're leading a community program, um, to take a look at that goal, each goal, and say, what's in it for the people in my group to learn to achieve this goal. Why should they care? Why should they bother? And in a sense, you actually become the salesperson for the goals. And you have to go through a process where you say, okay, 
if if I increase my confidence and my creativity, what's that going to do for me? Why should I bother? And so you have to, so what we do is we go through and we, we start writing out all the benefits. And then when we're delivering the goals, we, we actually talk about the benefits. We don't talk about what we're going to do to reach the goals. We talk about why they should care, okay? So for a young person, uh, after we talk, we talk a little bit about what creativity is. And then we say, the more confident you are in your creativity, the more you're going to be able to influence the people in your life in the ways you want to influence, the more you're going to be able to uh, get done the things you want to get done, the more you're going to be able to this and that, whatever we think the young people are really going to care about accomplishing in life. And that's, that's what can then um, bring them on board of like, oh, yeah, I want to do that. You know, I'm not interested in art, but I want to increase my capacity to, to have my way in the world, right? And it takes, it takes some work from the, from the vantage point of the teacher or the facilitator. Uh, it takes some work to really identify the benefits. I do this work in Starbucks. I, I um, teach a course in Starbucks on, on how to lead good meetings. And it's amazing. You know, they, they, they look at the, the, the goals of their meetings, and then they come up with the benefits, and then they start figuring out how to talk about it in a way that will get everybody excited. And they come back and say, wow, my meetings are so much more effective. My time is so much more well spent. Okay, wait, so is each meeting then have its own goals? Or do you reiterate certain goals? Like, our goal is, you know, have employee satisfaction and then go into the goal of that meeting. No, each meeting has a goal. Like, if you, every time you pull together people for a reason, I mean, so what's the reason? What's the goal of the meeting? Yeah. I mean, I just think, like, I know it sounds really simple, but I'm like, oh, wow, I'm not sure how often I actually sit down and start the meeting somewhere in the first two minutes of why are we actually doing this? And we all hate meetings, you know? It's like, why are we doing it? Exactly. And once you get clear, take the time to think about what's the purpose of this meeting, you're, you're much more likely to move in the direction of achieving that purpose. And you're much more likely to stay on purpose and you're much more likely to end your meeting sooner. And I don't want to go too down this rabbit hole because we're talking about the whole perfect beginning. But since we're talking about individual meetings, okay, so say you have, you know, in your work life, a culture of a lot of meetings. How can you um, take this idea of sort of, you know, setting the table to just any any normal meeting. So I've called a meeting. I I know what the purpose of the meeting is. You know, what my purpose is we're going to review this contract to make sure both parties, you know, are well represented. So it's right, it's boring. <laughs> but before I get to the purpose, can we is there a moment of creativity or a moment to get, you know, without, you know, 
scaring away the superintendent of the school board or something, but to have this moment of creativity even there. Well, let's go back. Let's let's back up. And uh, can you say what that goal was again? Okay, so say the goal of this particular meeting is we are going to review a contract between two parties to make sure that the contract is meeting the needs of both parties. Okay. Okay. I just gave you the most boring example ever. <laughs> no, 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 no. So the goal is to make sure that the contract is going to work for both parties, to come to an agreement that, that's going to work. Um, what you're going to do is review the contract, okay? So the goal is, is, is to come to something that's going to work for both parties. Okay. So then, then the, the question is, if we come to an agreement, if we, if we come to a, a contract that really works for everybody, what's, what's the benefit of that? Right. We're going to feel like we're in it together. We're going to feel, yeah, and if you're in it together, then what's going to happen to that program? It's going to soar. It's going to soar, <laughs> right? And we might even have some fun. And we won't, uh, we won't be uh, kind of pulling, pulling at each other about the details because we've got that worked out ahead of time, right? And so then before... I, so before I even do this, do I have a moment where I say, oh, you know, like, look what I learned. I can yodel or like, is there a way to try to get creativity in before that? Or is it enough to just start the meeting with like, we're going to be really clear about our purposes today? Well, we're real advocates of using um, arts activities, brief art activities that give people a chance to get their voice out into the room and to take a little bit of a creative risk. So I'll give a little example here of one, <clears throat> which actually surprises me that is a low enough risk that people can do it. Um, say you were uh, with a group of people and you want to go around and have everybody introduce themselves. Okay, so maybe you say, you know, your name, why you became, why you're excited about this project or this program, and then we, we ask you to mime or act out something that you love to do. And as the facilitator or the head of the meeting, you then give, you demonstrate something really easy like um, drinking a cup of tea or reading a book, just something really minimal. And then you say, you know, when you mime that thing, you can either do something as simple as this drinking a cup of tea, or, or if you're like a really courageous mimer, you can even stand up and do something bigger if you want. So what happens is in order to mime, you have to engage the imagination. And um, so each person, a person does something and then they mime something little and everybody in the group immediately can tell what it is and says, oh, yeah, writing, writing, you like to write or whatever. Um, and as it goes around, each person's little creative risk that they take by miming something gets, is, mirror, is uh, appreciated by the group. So this positive vibe gets set up. And also, people feel really good that they can guess and so a whole 
as each person mimes, and then somebody will suddenly stand up and mime something really big, like walking their dog. And then everybody laughs. And, um, and so it develops a, a kind of a convivial atmosphere. And it also, in watching the mimes and in doing the mimes, as I said, it ignites the imagination. And we have a, um, a model that we've used for a long time um, which is a model of group participation, and it's called the IPC model. This is all very technical. I, I don't know if it's too technical. Okay, it's called the IPC model, and what this says is if when a group of people come together, if you engage their imagination, that's the I, that leads to P. Well, first of all, you engage their imagination, and people get the message like, more than just their intellect is, is, is wanted here. Their quirky personality, their, their humor, their bodies, everything, their whole self is welcome. And when people uh, feel that way, they're more inclined to pee, participate. And when people participate, that leads to C, commitment. So IPC, imagination leads to participation, leads to commitment. And this little model comes in really handy because um, any of you who run programs or want run groups or run meetings, uh, you notice that there are certain times when the, the energy just goes really dead. And what do we normally do? We just power through. Oh, I only have 10 more minutes, or I only have 20 more minutes, uh, and you just kind of power through and ignore it and try to get to the end. Your, your goal is not to accomplish anything anymore. It's just get to the end of this damn meeting. And <laughs> if instead what we, what we urge people to do is when the energy in your group goes dead, go back to I. Find a way to engage the imagination very briefly. And that reignites participation and reignites com uh, commitment. It can be as simple as, uh, what would you do? A real quick way to engage the imagination. I, the, um, I don't... Uh I don't know. This is like I, I that's what I this is what I was going to ask you. Like I I mean there's some examples in Catch the Fire, mm -hmm. but what do you do? Like I'm a person that really needs to see something modeled or have yeah. it told me, right? Like yeah. I if you put me on the spot like this, yeah. I'm like I don't know, uh cry. Uh, <laughs> but you know, but I feel like a good facilitator cuz I just I have watched many good facilitators it's like they have this lexicon to drive, mm -hmm. draw from, right? Mm -hmm. And so they just pop, oh, and all of a sudden they're doing a gibberish exercise, uh -huh. right? And they're like, oh, okay, so-and-so come up here. And, you know, like, and they just, it's like they have this, this basket full of resources. So for people like me who need to develop a basket, of resources because we're terrified of being in front of a group and knowing we ought to engage the imagination, but instead we're just going to, you know, go back to what we always do, which is power through. Right. Where do we go? Where do we go right. to get that toolkit? Yeah. Okay. So let's, um, well, Catch the Fire has over a hundred activities in it, but um, it's true. Once you have a basket of activities, you can really become a creative facilitator and you don't even need that many activities. But, okay, say your group is really 
retired, you could say, and gone dead, you could say, wow, it looks like everybody's just checked out, right? Um, let's just close our eyes for a minute and just imagine that a cool breeze is, is coming through the room and cooling us all down and just giving us some energy. Then you start again. By, by using an image, the cool breeze, the imagination is, is engaged and the energy shifts. Love it. Okay, and so people can, if, so if you're like me and you're like, okay, I'm really excited. I want to be a better facilitator. I want a basket of activities to bring to my life. Um, give us some both resources, give us some resources. Where do people go to get more training, to learn more? Mm-hmm. What are great, um, you know, like you probably don't need to do this anymore, but if you have a, a young facilitator that you see is up and coming and is, and is ready, where do you send them? Like YouTube? Um, clearly they should get your book. <laughs> where else do we go? Well, PI, Partners for Youth Empowerment, until COVID, we were doing a lot of training and a lot of training in BC, regular trainings in um, Vancouver and um, all through the Northwest. Now, and we have three levels of training, creative facilitation, one and two. And then we have something called the Art of Facilitation, which is a five-month, one weekend a month. Um, And we've had several people from Cortez Island come down to Seattle for that training. That all got stopped. We started doing it online. And you can, we we occasionally have online classes. um, And they're amazingly effective. Of course, they're not as good as in person, and I'm I'm really hoping that in person will be able to start up this fall. Um, yeah, so that's 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 where we do training, mostly in the Northwest, and then we get hired by organizations to come and train their their folks. And there's another place you can experience creative facilitation um, is an organization called Indigenize which was started by uh, some folks in B.C. and um, Kelly Turbasket and Kim Haxton. And that was to, to bring the creative empowerment model to First Nations communities. And um, Indigenize has created a four- or six-part settlers training called... I can't think of the name of it but if you if you google indigenize i and um yeah however indigenize we'll put it in the show notes yeah indigenize um you'll you'll be able to find it and it's a fantastic training for for settlers to really uh, get a good education around um the issues around first nations and last time i looked they were doing it online yeah, so you could do it from here. You could do yeah. it from anywhere. Um, so that's an incredible resource for people. And they to look employ at. a lot of these arts practices in the training itself, so you'll get to see it in action. Not to mention, you'll get a very engaging education around um, First Nations issues and how to be a better ally. Love it. Um, so we've talked about good beginnings, and we've talked about the the meat of a little bit of the meat of what happens inside 
Can we talk about endings? Sure. Because I think that endings are really hard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of rush through beginnings, but boy, like just culturally, even for myself, like let alone in the workplace, I find, you know, a good ending for me is like you just slip out the door. Right. <laughs> and um, so can we talk about what what a good ending looks like and yeah. how what the what is the job of an ending? Right. Okay. Well, once again, I want to start with a bad ending. Yours of just slipping out the door is a good example. Another example is what happens in schools. How, how does the class period end? That bell going off and jarring everyone and leaving them jagged to go off to the next class. Um, it's important, if, if you think about a program uh, as an entity, like, like say a, a, a one-hour classroom, Everyone comes together, there's a beginning, then they go through a process and they're learning something new, hopefully, or they're practicing, and then they end. And if, if you don't pay attention to an ending, people just leave feeling disconnected. And also, it's almost like the energy just fritters away, like people don't even know how to say goodbye, they just run out. Or sneak out, like you said. And um, if you pay attention to a closing, what you really can do is seal the learning. In a way, it's, it's a container. When, when you have a group together to learn, you, you as a facilitator are creating this container with, with the people in your, in your group. And um, so depending on how long your program is, your your closing can be anywhere from two days to 30 seconds. At Power of Hope Camp, we really pay attention to closings, c- closings because young people have a very intense experience. And um, a lot of the positive experience they have is around developing very uh, meaningful relationships with other young people. And also with themselves through being in an environment where they feel much more confident in themselves. And suddenly, they're going back to life as usual. And for some of the young people who come to Power of Hope Camp, life as usual is very rough. And so they're having to face, go back. But for everyone who comes to, it's, it's such a different kind of uh, atmosphere for them. Even if they have a great family and great friends, they're going back to a different environment and that's scary and they need they need strategies so at power of hope we uh the day before camp ends in the afternoon we start talking about what does it mean to say goodbye and uh how how do you do positive goodbyes and how can you take care of yourself when you go through a transition what are the things you can do when you get home um, one thing Charlie always started telling kids that we've we have carried on is say, you know, try this when you go home. Uh, you've had a really huge experience here, but your mom or your dad or your or your carer, whoever you're going back to, they've had a whole week too. So what what would happen if you go back and say, well, mom, how was your week? 
and engage them in talking about their week instead of you just kind of if blabbing on about your week. Um, and we've had so many parents go, I don't know what you did to those kids at camp, but it's the first time they ever asked me what, asked me about myself. And it does a lot for their, for a parent. But so, so we give them strategies. They come up with strategies. And, um, and then we have a final, the, the final evening, we have a celebration of everything that they've learned. And at the end, the, the final day, we have a closing circle. So, so that we're really attending to the need to have the transition acknowledged. You know, and in traditional cultures, there's, there's all kinds of rituals that have been used for transition, for all the transitions in life. And so many of them have been, have been ignored by more Western white culture to our detriment, you know. So um, a closing can be as simple as uh, one, one um, program that we're involved with called Young Women Empowered. They often do, they just do clap, clap, snap as a group. At the very end of their program, it's a little tradition, and uh, it's a way of sealing, sealing the container, closing the door. Or you can, or you could even with a um, with a board. You, you know, you've got to talk people into being willing to be a little bit out of the box. But um, it's the end of our meeting. Let's all say thanks together at the count of three. One, two, three. Thanks. That's it. You've closed the... There's an energy. When people come together, an energy is created. And that, uh, it's, it's almost like a personality is created. A group has a personality. Uh, it has its ways of being. And so when, when, um, when you're closing, you've got to... You're closing the energy down. I really like that and as I just am thinking more and more about endings in life I just think also the way those little endings then you know every day that you're together practicing an ending however small you know gives us then these chances to practice for our big endings because boy talk about a culture that doesn't know how to deal with the you know the final ending um, mm-hmm. of death and I think well of course we haven't practiced you know we're you know so many of us like me are the like slip out the back door right. rather than just have a moment to practice what is an ending that you know doesn't have to be perfect it's just practice yeah so I love that thank you so much so we mm-hmm. are going to take just a moment to have a little bit of music so that you listener if you'd like can call in and ask questions uh, while we're here and I still have my questions too um, I always have a long list but I'd love to hear from you as well and don't worry you don't go on air you just get to ask us the question um, and then we, uh, Peggy or I will repeat uh on the air afterwards. So to call in here at Cortez Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM, CortezRadio.ca, you just dial 250-935-0200. I'd like to know, do you have youth in your life? Do you feel like you know 
how to engage with youth. And what are you doing right now when you come together with people? Do you have practices around beginnings, endings, engaging the kind of creative, imaginative potential of each other? Or are you wanting more of those? Share your stories, your successes, your failures, or any other questions that you have. Love to hear from you. 250-935-0200. Thanks for tuning in to Folk U Radio on CKTZ 89.5 FM. We will have a little break, and then we'll continue with Peggy Taylor, founder of Power of Hope and Pi Global. Sometimes it finds me fast asleep And wakes me where I lie Lie, lie, lie I'm not afraid to die Since I found my own way These couches sure are comfy And the salon de refuse And my hands are on fire Hands are on fire I ain't got no more time For all you charlatans and liars I found homemade wings Up into the sun Seems to me there's room up here For each and every I have a 
telling me this first I'm so far behind That I think I'm first My hands are on fire Hands are on fire Ain't got no more time For all you charlatans and liars I fly on homemade wings Up into the sun Seems to me there's room up here For each and every one Every dream I ever loved Is pushing me up higher
couldn't find his keys, so he couldn't get in. You know, it's tight like that. Oh, it's a nasty thing like that. Now, him, it's all get to you. I mean, it's tight like that. You are listening to Folk U Radio here on CKTZ 89.5 FM, CortezRadio.ca. Today, we are talking about the power of youth, and we are doing this with Peggy Taylor, who is author of Catch the Fire, co-author of Catch the Fire, and also founder or co-founder of Power of Hope and Pi Global. Um, and so we're talking about things uh, wide-ranging, and I, over the break, um, was asking Peggy about whether or not it seems to her like the world is somewhat, or that people, and that's a huge generalization, but that there can be a fear associated with young people. The sort of, everything from a kind of, I remember feeling it when I was a teenager, being in high school, and just feeling like, what's the point? Of high school, you know, like I feel like nobody ever sat down and told me what the goal was mm-hmm. <laughs> of this shared experience, and I was quite good at school, and so I could jump through the th- uh, the hurdles. But I just sort of felt like, what's the point? You have all this 
energy and vitality of these young people and and when they're sitting in desks all day checking boxes on standardized tests and um and even then i felt like oh there's something that maybe the world doesn't want from you know from us or that we're somehow not like we're too much and i and then now as an old person who has young people in my life i feel the same thing like sometimes i feel in myself this sort of fear of like particularly these days i feel like it's a fear of getting it wrong you know, like, am I going to say the wrong thing or use the wrong word or um, somehow seem ridiculous to someone that I care about or love? And I'm wondering, do you feel like in the world today that there is this fear of of young people, of our interactions with younger people? Um, yeah, what are your feelings about that? Well... I think people are particularly afraid of teenagers um, because they think that teenagers don't like them. I think there's a big, a big piece of that. And teenagers as a whole and, and developmentally, I think, are much more willing to make clear what they think. They don't hide it. So it might come out as yelling and screaming, or it might come out with eye rolling, or it might come out with just withdrawing, right? But so if you're, if say you're uh, working with kids in a program, or, you know, you're just visiting friends who have a teenager who's sitting over there in the corner, there is this fear that I don't know how to talk to them. I don't know how to relate to them. And uh, and you get pretty clear feedback from teenagers. Not all teenagers. Some some have learned so-called social graces, right? Adults are very much more willing to play along and pretend and hide their emotions. Young people can't necessarily hide those emotions. They're they're right there. Um, I think there's also a fear. At Power of Hope Camp, very often, uh, say we have a poetry workshop, and uh, I've I've seen kids say, uh, when it's time to, does anybody want to read their poem? They say, I can't read mine. I would be, I'd be expelled from school if I read this. And we say, it's okay, just go ahead and read it. And I would be amazed by how untriggering what they would read. I'd say, you think you'd get kicked out of school for saying this? And usually it had to do with real feelings, strong feelings, um, big fears, big concerns, right? And, And adults get overwhelmed by teenagers so easily. And I, I know that very early on at, at camp, I remember one day we were asking them to, you know, think about their dreams for the future. And one, one young person said, uh, this is stupid. And we said, why is it stupid? Because there is no future. And I certainly harbor the belief that there is a future, and I hope there's a future. 
But when a child says that to you, it's pretty shocking. It's shocking to the system. What do you say, right? And that's what teenagers will do. They'll say it the way they, the way they see it in the moment, and it can be very scary because it's kind of unbridled. Um, but if, on the other hand, you give young people the chance to... If, if somebody isn't heard, they will often do one thing or the other. They'll either get in your face or they'll withdraw one or the other. And there's a huge epidemic of young people not being heard, not being heard in school, not being heard at home, not being heard anywhere. And so we get these behaviors that are acting out or acting in. They'll act in against themselves or they'll act out. And the antidote is listening and curiosity. Right? And when they're, as soon as they start to be listened to, and this listening can take different forms. It can be just simply listening. Or it can be through a creative outlet like writing poetry, like freestyle poetry, like um, creative writing, like visual arts, anything where, where they're invited to express their thoughts and feelings. Um, when they start to be listened to, they, they calm down. The, the ones that are... We, one of our beliefs is that every human being has a valid desire to be seen and heard. And, you know, we'd often say, teachers would say, well, no, my students, they don't want to be heard at all. They're just completely withdrawn. But they're withdrawn because they're not heard. And so once they have an outlet to be heard, they stop being so withdrawn. And the opposite is also true. So, so just having that listening ear without feeling like you have to solve the problem for them. There is no way to solve their problems. They, they're humans like us. We each have to step up to our world as best we can. And we can't solve their problems. As long as we feel like it's our job to solve their problems, then we're already in a mess because then it gets really hard to listen because you're put in a box. Does that make sense? It makes total sense, and it's probably one of the reasons... It's so hard to engage with one's own teen, mm-hmm. right? Because, at least for me, I just want to solve their problems, right. you know? <laughs> and it's probably a little bit of a problem that I have in general with, with most people, <laughs> um, definitely with teens, is that I want to solve their problems. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and maybe that's one of the things that is scary with teens is that I want to solve their problems and they know that I can't. Right. And, but I love the idea that uh, can start with just listening. Can you give us some tips on asking better questions of teens? You know how mm-hmm. when you're like, you know, when you're engaging with young kids, you learn really on not to ask like, you know, the, you know, how was your day at school? Because <laughs> you're going to get fine. Um, and so, you know, and like, so so you start asking them about how many teeth have they lost or, you know, right? Like whatever, you know, what things are they learning, et cetera. What kind of things do you ask teenagers? Well, that is very hard to take that out of context. It's so situational. But um, there's, you know, in the psychological world, there's uh, open-ended questions versus closed-ended 
closed-ended questions are a yes or no answer. So if you say, did you have a good day at school, you're going to get a yes or a no. But if you say, um, how did things go for you today? Or what are some things that happened that interested you today? That's an open-ended question. And sometimes if somebody's very shut down, a good place to start is with closed-ended questions just to get them talking. So like um, you said, you know, what color do you like best or whatever? But um, open-ended questions are the ones that really allow something to happen. I guess you can ask teens, are they... Are they still teaching sex ed at school? Are they? I, I, I don't know. I think they, I don't know. I think they are. I'm very, it, it, it doesn't seem like to, it's super effective based on the teens that I'm talking to. But, I think, but these are a good question. Are I, they? I think with, with teenagers too, sometimes there's just things they can't talk with their parents about. Mm-hmm. And if there's, a, if there's an aunt or an uncle or a friend who can, who they feel more comfortable with talking talking about it for the parents not to feel guilty about the fact that they're not talking to them directly as long as they have somebody to talk to and strangely enough um, people go through a developmental cycle and come toward older teens they often come back to their parents and start talking a lot more but uh, listening 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 listening's the the key and not pushing. Mm. Mm. But this is like now it's become parenting advice. For <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm not the one to go to for parenting advice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you've done okay, so I think it's all right. Um, okay, so let's go back to this idea of also the goal. Um, I'm like, why? Why is it so important to engage and empower teenagers? Well, I think that there's there's this belief that the teenage years are just a um, practice time for becoming an adult. And they're treated that way. They're not treated like real people. They're treated like, uh, and they're ready to be treated like real people. They have ideas, they have thoughts uh, that are really important to hear. And when they get the message, they get more ideas and more thoughts, Right. And, but we need, we need them to be participating in our society instead of seeing them as just in this holding pen. And it goes right back to that camp I went to as a kid. Um, we were treated like real people. And there'll be the occasional school that's, that's some kind where, where this, the kids feel like they're treated like real people instead of people in training to become people. And I think at Power of Hope, they feel like they're being treated like real people, as if their thoughts and feelings matter. And, and, and that the adults at Power of Hope camp are absolutely fascinated by the youth and curious about the youth. And, and so for young people to have that kind of relationship with adults where it's not all like, oh, you're supposed to be learning from us only, but when the adults become very curious and fascinated with the youth, the youth become a lot more interested in learning what the adults have to offer as well. 
I love that. And I love how at the very beginning, even when you were talking, right, way at the beginning of this interview where you're talking about the power of hope in that model, you said this is one of the important things is bridging the gap between youth and adults. And it feels like a gap that somehow continues generation after generation, despite each generation having experienced how bad it feels to kind of, you know, to be, you know, to be a teenager and to not feel like you're vital or important in, you know, in the things that most have to do with you, your family, your school, your, you know, whatever the way, like your, your communities. Um, So I love that, that, that we are creating little models um, of light and hope and maybe just even that there's these adults and these young people out there who have a taste mm-hmm. of it being different, one yeah. little like, sip of it being different yeah. so that they can just seek out that in the yeah. world. Yeah, and I think that there's this belief that a program has to be very long in duration for anyone to get anything out of it. Uh, you can get, we've seen the effects of on a child who comes one week to a Power of Hope camp and have lasting effects through through the many years afterwards. Um, transformation happens in a moment. And uh, so short programs and long programs both have their place. I This reminded me once I went to a, a summit, it was a community summit on what youth need in our community. And they had a bunch of youth there. This was down on Whidbey Island. They had a bunch of, bunch of youth there. And I was in this small group with some a woman from social services and a couple other people and a youth and the youth said um what i think we need in the community is for a place that young people can go to if they can't get along with their parents if it's like rather than just be out in the streets there's got to be some place if it's an absolute no-go at home she said what i'm hearing you say is that you want an activity center like a for for um for youth she says no we don't need an activity center we need a place where we can go if things are like really really bad yeah so i yeah i'm hearing you say you want an activity center and this went on and she just she literally could not hear and i think it's because she couldn't bear the thought that young people weren't in that position it's too painful and what if, on the other hand, she had just said, oh, tell me more. I want to hear more. Something different would have happened. I love that model. And also, I just invite everybody to kind of, like, it's such a good phrase also, right? To As you talk about better questions, but also um, better listening we can all just practice saying that. Mm. Tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. What else? <laughs> what else? <laughs> One of the things when we train facilitators is the short questions are the most powerful. Mm. Tell me more. What else? What then? You know, super short questions. I love it. Okay, well, so speaking of tell me more, if people 
have been listening to this and they are just on fire now because either they want to send their, I'm sure they all want to send their kids to a Power of Hope camp um, or they want to improve their own facilitation skills or they want to kind of know just, you know, more about Power of Hope or Pi Global. Where do they go? Well, our website is partnersforyouth.org. And as I said, because of COVID, things have been a little on the low kind of shut down but um hopefully they're starting up again let's let's hope because yes and (laughs) three out of four power of hope camps in north america were canceled this summer because of covid which just really hurt my heart but hopefully next year things will be better let us hope um that we're all finding new ways to to kind of keep the the hope and the dream alive mm-hmm. um so partnersforyouth.org peggy thank you so much thanks so much manda i really really appreciate you taking the time to be here and i appreciate you neighbor for tuning in to listen and support another episode of folk you radio and it's just so lovely to hear a little bit more about these sort of stories and threads and seeds that um that Cortez has had some little part of. Mm-hmm. Big part of. <laughs> Big part of. Amazing. What an amazing web we live in. I feel almost like we should do a little like snap, snap, clap or All something. Right. Here we go. Yeah, One, let's try. two, three. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, neighbor, for tuning in to Folk You Radio here on CKTZ 89.5. FM. I love hearing from you, so please reach out. Let me know what is on your mind, future episodes, what you thought of today, any follow-up, etc. You can do that at the letter U, U at folku, F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. Until next time. That's it for another edition of Folk You Radio. If you'd like to learn more about Folk You or subscribe to our podcast series, visit us at folku.ca. That's F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. Folk You is produced at CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Radio dot C-A. brain's almost always got Something lame it's got to say It's embarrassing All the stupid things I can't think of To think about Is there anything That could really bring My mind back To my senses Don't get me wrong I am thankful
build you up just to let you down. That's just the way it is. But all I need is one friend to get me through the day. One friend who never goes away. Only one friend to understand and never let. Well, I've been in love and I've been in pain. I'm a sinner and a saint. And no matter where I am or what I do, it's you I appreciate. My one friend to get me through the day. My one good friend, I don't need nobody else. Just my one friend, get me through the day. One friend, never goes away. Only one friend to understand and never let me down. All I need is a one friend. Get me through the day. One friend never goes away. Only one friend to understand and never let me down. And never let me down.
You're listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM, CortezRadio.ca. This is Mando Fox Gillespie from Folk U Radio, and we're just going to do our little announcement section so you know what is upcoming and what is bigger to talk about than Love Fest. That is happening Sunday, August 14th. And if you have not heard of Love Fest before, then I must ask, where have you been? Uh, and if you have, then you know that this is a wonderful day held at Linnea here on Cortez Island of music, crafts, food, and music, and more music. It is a lovely, lovely, lovely day. So Sunday, August 14th, you can buy tickets um, at Cortez Island stores or at the door, um, but they're more affordable if you get them in advance. And this year, new to Love Fest is a special children's program. And we have here Norlene Lillico to tell us a little bit more about what is that? Well, I just had to ask myself, I just wonder how many folks on Cortez have dreamed about running away to the circus. Well, I have. I actually did. I wasn't on Cortez at the time. I was in Comox with my then teenage son doing high school. And while meanagerness ran through him, I just happened to be doing my dance with the lovely age of menopause. So I was dreaming, honestly, of New Zealand. <laughs> when I talked to a friend of mine, many of you know, Kaya Keel, who used to live on the island with her lovely daughter, Wanjana. And she had moved to Courtney to, to do circus. So we chatted, and I realized I don't even have to run away to join the circus. And I want to offer that opportunity to you. So I'm speaking to all ages right now. I'm inviting your inner child to just become curious. What would it be like to try a little taste of Cirque de Cortez? Well... Sunday, August 14th, to start off Love Fest from 11 to 12, I'll be running a little mini Cirque de Cortez. You can come and try some movement, try some, pick up a hoop. Maybe you often pick up a hoop and you want to share some of your fun games and thrilling acts with your hoop. Maybe you're kind of wondering about some of the other aspects of circus and you'd like to come give it a try. It's a participation moment for all. And really, no matter your age, we've all got that inner child that might just like to come out and play. So, Manda, that's what I'm doing. I'm inviting folks to arrive, ready to move, ready to get a little bit silly, have a little bit of fun, and just get into the, the feeling of the day which is great music and good moving. Now, if I come to participate in circus, am I going to be on the stage and everyone's going to be watching me? Ooh, thank you for asking that, because really, this is participation. We're all in the realm of having fun with circus. We'll be on the grass, close to the stage, where we can run to chase hoops, we can move and spread out, and we are not doing a performance it's about what your body 
wants to do in the moment. Of course, being mindful that we all live in our own bodies, so we know what works with us. If something's not feeling comfortable, you just don't do it. And maybe adjust a little bit, try something else. So I'm really excited about getting all bodies up and moving, grooving. Love it. And then is there going to be music to accompany this part of our exploration at Love Fest? Absolutely, because it's about music. So relax. You do not have to count to eight. Don't even have to count to four or even keep track of two beats. It's open movement. The music's going to lead you along into an exploration of moving. There's no right because there's no wrong. If you're having fun, well, that's what I want. Love it. This sounds like a lot of fun. So if people are listening and now they have been sold, where do they run off and get tickets and if there's a whole family is there a special family rate yes and i encourage you to take a moment to go to one of the island stores um hollyhock is also selling tickets it's more affordable before the day of and you can get your family ticket which is such a deal at $60 for the whole family. So what if your young nephew is visiting? Is he part of the family? Yes, you bet. As long as they're with an adult that, of course, is, you know, responsible. We don't check IDs to see if you're blood relatives. You bring your family of choice. And so what uh, if you have 18 kids under the age of 16 and you're just hoping for a day of babysitting? Do you drop them off at Love Fest? Oh, I really thank you for that question. <laughs> Let's be clear here. <laughs> it is not a free babysitting service. There will be fun activities for kids. We're getting a kid's tent. There are afternoon of enjoyable activities. And we ask all ages to be present, particularly adults who are responsible for kids. It doesn't have to be your own kid. You can bring other people's kids. Just please be mindful of where they are, that they're having fun, because it's all about grooving to the tunes getting together with community, and enjoying the beauty of Linnea Farm. We want everyone to be having fun. That's why it's great to have an adult around, just to oversee. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing with us. I am really looking forward to Love Fest this year, uh, which CKTZ, Cortez Community Radio, is helping to sponsor, um, which seems so appropriate. And so all sorts of us are going to be sucked into helping in different ways this year, not just Norlene and me, but even more. So thanks a ton to all those such as Rex Weiler and Rick Bachner and and all the ones who are in here that you've heard of. And who else am I not? Uh, who else am I forgetting to to wow. mention that are making this happen year after year after year after year? There are so many names. I will add in Amy Robertson. She is doing a great job getting volunteers for this this year. You know, it is a volunteer-run event. And so, of course, we appreciate folks that actually look for the garbage can and put their garbage in the garbage can and deal with recycling so that our cleanup crew will have an easier time at the end of the festival. Oh, that's such a good point. 
I cannot tell you how much time we spend here on Cortez cleaning up garbage from those who maybe forget that it doesn't just get taken care of for you in the way that it might in the city. So that's a lovely reminder to all that everybody can be a, a volunteer at Love Fest in a really easy way, which is to take care of your own garbage and to do it well. Um, and th- which also reminds me, do we know anything more details about the food? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what I wanted to speak about next is there are some wonderful food vendors coming and at Love Fest, it is a cash only event. We don't have internet to run those handy dandy little computer magical boxes. So we need you to arrive with cash because there will be a Variety of food and beverage items. Also, not just food, some of the best crafters and makers on Cortez will have their tables there. You'll be able to browse all kinds of beautiful creations from local folks. So, do be, we- do be ready. Bring your water bottle. There's lots of great sources to fill up on water as well. We'll stay hydrated. And of course, a sun hat always helps. And a picnic blanket or something, right? Don't you feel like that's like the other essential uh, uh, love? Okay, so cash, water bottle, sun hat, picnic blanket. Oh, and your sense of fun. And your sense of fun, which Mm -hmm. sometimes we have to remember to actually take along with us in our bag, particularly after we some of us have left at home, particularly like me for maybe a couple years. So, okay, I love it. I hope that we're going to be seeing a lot of people there and that the weather's nice. Can you can you pretty much guarantee us the weather's going to be nice? Well, you know, I'm I'm pretty powerful in my own being. I I'm not going to take credit for the nice weather until after the fact then for sure i will but, okay, you know you know let's come prepared for whatever i'm capricorn so i'll have a sweater but i'll also have my sun hat and definitely a blanket yeah i'm glad you thought of that. and does it happen rain or shine what if it's pouring rain do we know oh we don't know we That's don't know a good question tune in to cktz and we will keep you up it's not going to rain because no. that would be too cruel. We'll do a the sun. Year we've had. We'll call the sun. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to Love Fest this year. And I'm just going to make a couple other announcements because I'm here. Uh, we still have one open mic night happening, 7 to 9 p.m. The next one is August 17th at Manson's Hall in the Pioneer Room. There is a snack bar available. So come hungry and Entrance is just by donation. Everybody is welcome, even if you do not like to perform, but you are welcome, extra welcome to come and share a poem, a song, I don't know, an interpretive dance, whatever. Uh, We hope that you'll join the uh, organizers of that, um, 7 to 9 p.m., August 17th. That's a Wednesday. Also on Wednesdays, but I believe it's at 2.30, is free tech support. Um, that is being done by Clio. Uh, this was um, 
supported by Folk You and Cortez Literacy and now is being supported by the radio station. And they happen right here, S-E-K-T-Z, the little radio station in the parking lot of Manson's Hall. So you're suffering with your emails or some crazy password thing or some other glitchy thing. Well, come get a little support. Um, thank you so much for CKTZ and Cleo for making that happen. Yes, it's a brilliant community gift to be able to arrive with your laptop or whatever device and just say help. Cleo's calm. She'll talk you through it. She empowers you to just jump in there. We are super lucky. Well, and I I know there's a ton of other things going on, but uh, those are the flyers that I have. So if you want us to announce your amazing thing, bring us a flyer down to the radio station and we will announce it on the air. Thank you, community. Thanks for all the ways that you give to making this place the special place it is. And thanks always to tuning in to Folk U Radio here at CKTZ 89.5 FM because it takes community to make community radio. And thank you for being part of it. Yes. CKTZ, we're keeping the unity in community. Ooh, love it. Well done, Norlene. All right. Thank you, Amanda. Until next week, I hope you will enjoy.